This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. Hi, I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting Objections, Sales EQ, and Inked, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome back to another episode of the Sales Gravy Podcast. With me today is Dre Baldwin, and Dre has got an amazing story that I can't wait for you to hear you're going to love this. Before we get started, though, I want you to go check out Salesgrave University. Salesgrave University is where sales teams and individuals from across the globe come to learn and build their professional sales skills. It's an amazing platform. It is truly the most powerful sales training platform on the planet. And right now, you can get access to any course. You can take any course you want if you've never taken a course before by using the code free course. And this is for people who have never taken a course, but you can pick any course on the platform, any of them, no matter how expensive, use the code free course and go check it out at learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com. Dre, thank you so much for joining me on the Sales Gravy Podcast. I want to tell everybody that the way that you got here, which is beautiful was that you sent me a video prospecting message. And if people have read any of my books, especially virtual selling, you'll know that I'm a huge proponent of video and how it creates emotional connections. And so one morning I opened up my email and there's a message from you. And it was so compelling that I, it's very, you you know this, it's difficult to get on this podcast. Mm-hmm. That I, I, I grabbed my team and said, just, we're going to figure this out. And you've been patiently waiting over the summer while I've been running around the globe to get on the podcast. So welcome to Sales Gravy. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I'm glad that video worked. (laughs) I'm glad we're able to make it happen. (laughs) So you've got an amazing story uh, uh, from from the uh, the MBA to business guru. And I just wanted to start by getting you to tell us your story. Just walk us through your journey to where you are today so our learners can can get a, a better feel of who you are. Sure. I'll give you the, the two, three minute version, uh, Jeb. So I come from the city of Philadelphia, PA now, uh, based in Miami, Florida, but always played sports growing up, played in a little bit of everything, but didn't really get serious about a sport. So I got into basketball around age 14, which is pretty late if you're trying to go somewhere with a sport, like playing college, let alone play pro. And But that was the situation. I only played one year of high school ball, sat on the bench that one year. I scored two points per game as a senior in high school on a basketball team. I, I tell people, Anybody who doesn't understand sports in hockey or soccer, you score two points per game, you're in the Hall of Fame. But in basketball, you're nobody. Right. So I got out of high school, wanted to keep playing because I felt like I was getting better because I started late. So I felt like I was a late bloomer. But nobody was naturally. Nobody was offering me a chance to come play college ball. So I walked on to play in college, which I did. I played at the Division three level, which is the third tier of sports. They don't they don't look for the pro players out of the D3 level. So even though I played, nobody was checking for me there. So same situation again. I wanted to play pro. I had to kind of sell my way into getting the pros. So I graduated college in 2004 to give everybody a timeline here. My first year out of school, Jeb, I worked a couple of quote unquote regular jobs. I worked at Foot Locker as an assistant manager. I worked at Bally Total Fitness selling memberships. And Bally's out of business now, but not because of me. I sold a lot of memberships at, at Bally Total Fitness in summer of 2005. But then that next summer, so that first year, I was just working regular jobs and was not playing anywhere at basketball. Then I went to this event called an exposure camp. I'm not sure most people know what that is, but it's basically a job fair for athletes and it's not free. You pay to go to these events. So it's a pay to play. And instead of bringing a a suit and resumes, you bring your sneakers and your shorts and you actually play basketball with other players who think they're good enough to play pro, but they don't have a job. So I went to that event It was a two day event in Orlando, Florida. Me and a couple of my college teammates rented a car in Philly, drove to Orlando. It was about a 15, 19 hour drive ish. Hopped out of the car Saturday morning, 9 a.m. And uh, I could have did that at age 23. Couldn't do it now. But I hopped out of the car Saturday morning, 9 a.m., played in this event. It was only two days. I played pretty well. Got a good scouting report, good footage. Then I got, I went back home to Philly. I had to be back at work on Monday morning at Valley Total Fitness. I had to negotiate to get that weekend off. And uh, then when I got back home, I still was not signed to a contract, even though I played well. What I started doing is I started calling basketball agents, Jeb. So agents are the same way they work in the literary world or entertainment world. They're to go between for the between the talent and the job. And I started calling agents to try to find an agent to represent me. I reached out to 60 agents. They had a email address or a phone number on their website. And again, this is 2005. Internet did exist. Uh, if they had an email address or phone number, I called them. And I reached out to 60. 20 of them said, let me see what you got. Out of that 20, I sent them my footage. One of them replied back and said, I'll represent you. He got me my first job. That was in uh, Countess, Lithuania in late summer 2005. So that's how my career started. 
And at that same time, I was I started putting videos on this brand new website called YouTube because that footage was on this thing called a VHS tape. You remember those? <laughs> yeah, too. <laughs> okay, so that was on a VHS tape. And I knew if you, you know get the tape wet, leave it in the sun, the footage gets destroyed. So I got it transferred to an audio visual CD, put it on YouTube. And this is where I started to kind of have this second career. So I started to build this audience online. Wasn't doing anything with it. I just had fans watching me online. There's no money to be made or anything. Around 2009, that's when I found myself unemployed. I started focusing on doing things. I'm sure we'll get into this, making uh, courses and uh, making products. And that's where I started doing that around that 2009 through 2011 period was really the period where I went from being just a, a basketball player who was dabbling on the internet to being a basketball player and also an entrepreneur on the internet in that time period there, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And then players started asking me about mindset. I started talking about that a little bit more. And that's where I started to transition to have an audience from having audiences just athletes to people who were not athletes when I started talking mindset stuff. So I knew what I was going to do when I got done playing ball. 2015, I stopped playing ball. I already had a built-in audience, so I did not have the usual transition for most pro athletes because I knew exactly what I was going to do, and I already had a runway of doing it before I stopped playing. So I've been doing that full-time ever since, so that's how we got here. That's a cool story. What was the point where you – I remember when YouTube came into its own. So at the time – I was podcasting. So I po- I started podcasting early. I've been podcasting since 2007. So yeah. I was podcasting when podcast was originally cool. And then YouTube came along and it basically sucked all the air out of podcasting until about right. three, four years ago when podcasting started coming back again as a medium. Mm-hmm. And 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 early on, I, I wasn't on that boat. Like I, I sort of missed the early YouTube boat primarily because I just didn't feel comfortable in front of video at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell a little bit of story about how I got that got, got comfortable because t- today video is a massive part of our business. But right. when was the point that you realized that there was there was a business there, there was something there for you? As far as video? Yeah, as far as video. Like you, you, you put your video up on YouTube, but there was a point where yeah. like you had the recognition like in somewhere in 2009, somewhere in that space, that there was a business there which helped you create that runway for mm-hmm. yourself. But what was that spark or that trigger that caused you to say, I need to invest more time and effort in this particular channel? Good question. So three things. Uh, Number one, uh, back in 2000, maybe 2001-ish, I had responded to a bulletin board post on my college campus that said, make extra money this summer. I responded to it and it turned out to be this guy was doing network marketing. I never heard of network marketing. I went to a couple of the hotel meetings when I got back to Philly that summer. I went to school at Penn State. And when I got back to Philly that summer, I went to a couple of the hotel meetings. And these people in the meetings were talking about concepts of entrepreneurship that I had never been introduced to. And I have a business degree from college. And these things they were talking about in that hotel, they were not talking about in my college classes. And I said, this stuff makes perfect sense. Why are they not teaching this at school? So and also another thing that happened at those meetings, because 80 percent of the meeting is not even about the product or the service. It's just about breaking people's false beliefs about what business actually is and their thoughts about money that we grow up with that we were never taught. And I said, this is this is exactly what I I needed this. Like This is better than what I'm getting in school. So that just sat in my mind. And I said, when I get out of school. Whatever these people are talking about, I need to go in this direction, not necessarily network marketing, but this direction. And they would always talk about go get the books outside of the room. The people selling books and they say, go get these authors. Make sure you get Brian Tracy and Jim Rohn and Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar. And I never heard of these guys. I'm like, who are these guys? And I started looking into these books and I couldn't afford them because I was a broke college kid at the time. But I would go to uh, eBay and I would buy pirated versions of the book. So 99 cents. I bought a uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I bought Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And when I read Kiyosaki's book, first two chapters, Jeff, I said, whatever this guy's talking about, this is what I'm going to do. I, I said, after basketball, I'm going to do this. Whatever he's describing, I couldn't have put it into words then, but whatever he's talking about, this is what I'm going to do. So I just kept that in the back of my mind. Went and played basketball. 2009, I found myself unemployed. So anybody who doesn't know the sports world, most athletes are not LeBron James or Kobe Bryant. All right? Some of us, we don't know when that phone's going to ring again. And there's a, a funny thing in the sports world, Jed. They say sometimes you're the last one to find out your career is over. Right. So <laughs> my my phone was not ringing. Right. And I was hoping it didn't ring again, but I wasn't sure it would. Now I'm looking at what I have here. I'm like, OK, I'm in my mid to late 20s now. Phone's not ringing. What if it does not ring again? There's a chance it doesn't ring. Chance my agent doesn't call me and there's no job opportunities. So what am I going to do? Because I need a way to take care of myself. I'm an, I'm an adult now. I got to do something here. 
And at the time I had just finished reading, it was kind of like the the new age version for the digital world of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it was the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. Yes. Many of the same principles, but for the digital world, he's the first person I ever heard talk about. You can hire somebody in India or the Philippines to work for you and you can teach them how to do it. You just got to be able to articulate and delegate. And I never heard these. I never heard of these terms before. And I said, okay. And he would, he had a blog. Tim had a very popular blog before his book came out. That's how he sold so many books. And he talked about, here's how you can test out a product idea. So I had all these basketball players following me already online. And I followed his little process for testing out a product idea. And I created two programs, a dribbling program for basketball players and a shooting program for basketball players. And I priced them at $4.99 a piece. <laughs> and I put this little test website up and it said, if somebody clicks the button, to buy the program, just put a little page that says this product is under construction. But if you want it, put it in your email address. And when it's ready, we'll let you know. That's This was Tim's uh, process. This is what his instructions. He said, if people are putting their email address in, you have a viable product, go make it and sell it. And I did that. And people were putting their email address in. And I met, went and made the program. And one day, put it out, put a YouTube video out, told my fans, hey, I got this new program. You want to learn how to dribble or how to shoot? Go to this website, buy the program. Still had a website to this day. And I remember I was make I made my first sale. I used to have a BlackBerry phone. You had a BlackBerry yep, back in I had the day? a BlackBerry. I love my BlackBerry. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I had the BlackBerry before the iPhone. And when you had the BlackBerry, there's a little red light that would blink when you got an email mm-hmm. or a text message. And the red light blinked and it said, Congratulations, you made a sale. Four dollars and ninety-nine cents. And when I made that sale, Jeb, I said, This is what I'm gonna be doing for the rest of my life. Because I knew I wasn't always gonna be able to jump 40 inches in the air. All right. That that eventually runs out. But what I had just done was take an idea out of my head, turn it into a product, put a price tag on it and turn it into money. I, and what we now call intellectual property and phrase probably existed then. I didn't know it, but I was like, man, I could do this forever. I got plenty of ideas. I could just turn them into products, put a price on it. And somebody will pay me. I, th- I could do this forever. So that's how I really got started when it came to uh, creating products and putting things out there. And once I did that, I just made more and more and more and more. I made a hundred products for basketball players. And then the players start asking me about mindset. So I started making mindset stuff and I started writing books. And this is when self-publishing became ubiquitous. So I was able to put my own books out and then it became courses and and so forth and so on. So that's how I got started to answer your question. I love it. I I think that uh, I think it's brilliant how when you start putting all the pieces together and and when uh, yesterday I was on a podcast and was asking me the same, same question about my, you know, my background then when you start putting all the pieces together, you recognize that there wasn't a single path. And I think a lot of people, when they see someone successful like you, they just think you just woke up one day and you were suddenly successful. And they don't realize that the path that you took wasn't direct. It was fragmented. And a, a great deal of it was your awareness of patterns. Like it was your ability to see that there was something here. It was testing something, not being afraid to fail. Or maybe you were afraid to fail, but you did it anyway. And then when and, and I'm 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 sure that there were some failures in the middle of all this for things that didn't work, like a you know, a product or a course or something you built, but you bounced off that, learned from it, and did it again. And I think that's where so many people miss in and when they're looking aspirationally at I want to get to a particular place, they miss that it's not a direct path. You have to be willing to fail, bounce off things, learn from things, and see the patterns and I've got a a similar story. I work with all the branches of the military, and I, we do training for military recruiters. I've mm-hmm. I've wasn't I didn't grow up anywhere near military recruiting. I don't know I didn't know anything about military recruiting. What I noticed is that military recruiters were buying my book, Fanatical Prospecting. Like they were buying the courses on Fanatical Prospecting, and I picked up the phone and called an army base and asked somebody, "Why are you buying this book?" And when they told me, I got on an airplane, went to that base, spent a week there learning about military recruiting and realized there was no resource for military recruiters. And in, you know, in America, at least, our army is a volunteer force and the military recruiters truly are the most important part of that entire equation. And they had no resources. So I came back, wrote a book. And made me feel good. I feel like we do great work with the military. We help military recruiters. We invest in them. I I feel like a, a patriot. I'm doing good things for my country. But at the same time, if I hadn't paid attention to the pattern, I w- we wouldn't be in that space. And I, and that's what it sounds like you did. You did, and that you're aware of. And as I listen to your entire story all the way through your story, I, mean, I I just all I hear is just 
greatness in terms of mindset, like the ability to be resilient, to face adversity, to see that there's an opportunity to test it out. And more than anything, what I love is and it's an inspiration for everyone because we should all pay attention to you. It is your willingness to invest in yourself. Like you didn't walk out and say, I know it all. You said, I'm going to read this book for we, you know, four day work week. I remember reading that book. You read, you know, you went and you went and figured out who Zig Ziglar was. And, you know, Brian Tracy, who Brian Tracy is one of my personal heroes. I mean, I went to see Brian Tracy back in like 1990. I mean, it was, you know, this was like a long time ago. And I didn't know anything, but I went and learned from him. You did all those things. But Dre, how you know, how often do you run into people who say, I've never read a book or I don't read books? Like I that happens to me all the time. Like I'm I've got a I'm I'm doing a book signing, people go, I don't I'm never gonna read this book. I don't read books. Like right. does it shock you when you see people who say, I want to achieve a goal, but then they're not willing to go do the learning in order to get to that goal? It used to shock me doesn't shock me anymore. So one thing, uh, Jeb, I would say is that uh, people like you and I, what we're doing, we're talking to 2% of the population. I, I tell people that all the time, like 98% of people, they want success, but they don't, they're not actually looking to actually do anything to get it. And I, I talk to people every day. So it doesn't shock me anymore because I know that most people are not really serious about achieving what they say they want to achieve. Uh, 2% of 8 billion is still a lot of people, but it ain't everybody. So that's what I, I always keep in mind. I know that I'm, I'm fishing and I'm looking for the right type of person who is serious about reaching their goals. But there are studies that have said, and this goes back years, that once people leave their formal schooling, Jeb, they never read another book, not voluntarily, at least. At least not for like personal growth type of books, maybe some entertainment, but for personal growth, people never pick up another book unless they're forced to. So it doesn't surprise me anymore. Yeah, I had a guy um, on X, formerly Twitter, who wrote wrote me a note the other day ago and said, books are dead. <laughs> I was like, I'm, and I wrote back and said, I said, everything that you ever want to know about anything is in, a, in book. a book. Right. Napoleon Hill's book was, was written in, I think, the 1920s. And you right. read that the book. Question. And the truths right. in that book are still true today. That's right. 100%. And that's, as they say, you want to hide something from people, put it in a book. So that's where all the the deepest stuff is still in books. Even people like us who make multimedia content, video and audio, our deepest thoughts are still in writing, right? Because yes. it takes more effort to put your thoughts into written word than it does to say them on a microphone. So the deepest stuff is still in books, even to this day. But think about it. How much does your book cost? Uh, I give them away for free. Some of them just pay the shipping. <laughs> I can't wait. But but on, yeah. on retail, like you know, work on your game. Uh, what is 25 that? Twenty five bucks. Twenty five yeah, bucks. Okay. Now think about yeah. this. Okay. So if you were just thinking, I want to hire Dre to coach me. Mm -hmm. What is that going to cost? If I want to hire you to coach me, uh, thirty grand. Thirty grand. Okay. So I want to yeah. hire you to coach me. Going to cost me thirty grand. But I can go buy your deepest thoughts. Because they yeah. were written in your book, like it's when you write book. a book, like you poured into a book for That's twenty five right. bucks, and if, and you probably would give it to me for free. You right. could go, like you go to eBay, you may be able to pick up copies for you know ninety nine cents or what have you. I've written fifteen books, Dre. I've written over mm -hmm. a million words. Everything mm -hmm. that you would ever want to know about how to sell and and how I'm successful at selling is in a book, and right. none of those books cost more than thirty bucks. Think about right. that. That's the power of the book. And if you want to hire me to coach, you hire me to coach you, it's impossible mm -hmm. because I'm not for hire to coach. I've got right. way too much business in order to spend time with individuals helping them. I'd love to, but I just can't do this. Why so hire other people to coach you? So right. you can't even hire me, but you can go read my book or you can listen to a podcast or you can hop on you know, YouTube or TikTok or you know, Instagram. You can watch a video here and there. But the, but the best content, as you said, is hidden in a book. It's that 100%. powerful. 100%. And is the people who practice the slight edge. I mean, it's not like people don't understand this. Like they understand it. They logically get it, but they don't emotionally get it. And you got to emotionally get something to take action on it. And most people, they logically agree with everything that you said, but then they won't go do it because their habits get them, block them from actually doing it. Now, the good news, Dre, is that 
you're probably talking to the 2% on this podcast. We've got, right. uh, we've been podcasting since 2007. We've got hundreds of thousands of listeners, but the people who dial into this podcast are the best of the best. So let's shift into um, working on your game and, uh, and, and, Specifically, let's focus on mindset. So the the people that are listening to this book, and by the way, I don't know if y'all noticed when um, when Dre said that he got on the telephone and he cold called these agents in order to find someone to represent him. He is he is an original fanatical prospector. He gets it, like he knows how to make it rain and how to uh, how to make things happen. He just you've got to take action. You got to reach out. You got to call people. Talking with people is the key to pretty much everything that you want to accomplish in business. You just got to go have conversations. And the good news, as Jim Rohn says, is there's lots of people to talk with. So, uh, so Dre, let's talk about uh, working on your game. So your your book, the, the subtitle is, and I'm going to get this right, I'm going to read this, but it's to use the pro-athlete mindset to dominate your game in business, sports, and life. And right. because I'm in sales, I, I'm business to business sales is my life, is the only thing that I focus on. We use sports analogies constantly. Okay. I one of for for example, one of the things that I say and have been saying since I I could, you know, could be aware of uh, my role as a coach is that sales professionals are the elite athletes of the business world. If mm-hmm. you think about the, a business like this, it's like when you were on the court playing there were the players who were scoring and earning the money for the franchise. And then there were all the support people, the people who sold tickets, the people who were, you know, were, were handling the locker room, the coaches on the bench, all of the operations people, they were there. But without the elite athletes, you had nothing. And the same things in business. Sales professionals are the elite athletes. So let's talk about these core mindset principles that are so important to you and that you talk about in your book, Work on Your Game. Uh, let's talk about those and w- like what should sales professionals who are these elite athletes in business be doing right now to perform at their very best? All right, great. So the four-part framework is discipline, confidence, mental toughness, and personal initiative. So that first one is discipline. And this is the most important one. Because people sometimes ask me, Andrea, of these four, what's the most important one is absolutely discipline, number one. And I would say that would be number one for a salesperson, for an entrepreneur, for a, a student, a parent, or an athlete is discipline. Because first of all, the law of contrast, most people are not disciplined, even though many people are talented, skilled, and they have resources, they have no discipline. And the challenge with discipline is a lot of people think discipline is something that you have to force feed or make yourself do. I got to force myself to be disciplined. Like I, I get text messages from people in my audience. I have a text line. I've got people text me and they'll, they'll tell me what their challenge is. I'll say, okay, well, what do you think you need to do to solve this challenge? Or what have you tried to solve the challenge? And they'll say, well, I got to be more consistent. I got to be more disciplined. I got to be more motivated. They think they have to try to make themselves be disciplined. The problem with that is that it doesn't work. You can't make yourself disciplined. And what I tell people, the actual solution is structure creates discipline. When you have the right structure in place, the discipline comes out of the, the bottom of the funnel, so to speak. So when you work in a, a solid sales organization, they have the structure. All you do is plug yourself into the structure and you will produce discipline. You'll produce discipline results as long as you can follow instructions. You work at McDonald's, the burgers come out the same way every time, not because you're a genius at making burgers, but because they have such a tight system and structure that you can't mess it up unless you do it on purpose, right? So the discipline for anybody, even if you're by yourself right now with no team around you, is you have to put a structure in place that allows for that discipline to happen. And a simple way to create a structure, and this is, I tell this to entrepreneurs all the time, is open up your phone, open up that little app called the calendar, and structure your day. Right, anybody can do that. <laughs> and most people don't do it. Right, can you simply structure your day? What time are you going to the gym? What time are you going to make those calls? What time are you going to check your email? What time are you going to have lunch? What time are you done work? What time are you going to play with your kids? Can you just structure out your day? Many people just operate just just, just uh, freelancing. They're basically freelancing through their days. There's no structure in place. And this is the reason why they don't get as much done as they think they could. Then they get to the end of the day and say, well, Dre, I want to do more, but I don't have enough time. But no, you have time. You got 24 hours. So we all got the same amount. It's just you're using it inefficiently because you have no structure. And you think the problem is discipline. Discipline is actually a byproduct of your lack of structure. So that's the first piece. Yeah. And, and the, you know, you think about time, for example, for sales professionals, you got mm-hmm. maybe six hours, seven hours a day that you can actually have conversations with human beings. I mean, that's about right. it that you're going to have. 
And the studies show, data shows that salespeople are so distracted, and I love the term freelancing, they're freelancing their day, that mm-hmm. they're that they're wasting on average about three hours a day that are just oh, yeah. wasted, just gone, that mm-hmm. they could be selling. And, and salespeople love to complain about all the stuff that their company piles on them and non-sales activities. And some of that is, is true, that companies ask salespeople to do things that are non-sales. But salespeople are their own worst enemies because they don't have their calendar blocked. Some people call it, you know, striping their calendar. Or somebody said that the other day ago. But the they they're they're not setting aside the time specifically to selling. And when they are doing those things, they have a tendency to be distracted. Like their their attention is going here and going there and going here rather than just focusing on one thing at a time. And the way that I like to describe discipline is it's sacrificing what you want now in the moment for what you want most. And, and right. when you take that mindset of, I need to know what I want, why I'm here, what my goal is, what I'm trying to accomplish, I need to understand that and be willing to pay the price for that. And then you drop that, as you said, into a system, into structure, suddenly you get magic, like things really start to happen for you. And, uh, and I, I, I get a, I'm curious about this because one of the things that always occurs to me when I'm sitting down with salespeople and I'm talking about structure I'll have salespeople go, but you don't understand. Like, dude, you don't understand. Like, I, I like to keep things loose. Like, you never really know when something's going to happen. And like, you know, I'm going to, um, like, I'll get in the morning. I might get a call from a customer. So like, if, if I have like this day all set up, then like, I won't be able to respond to those things. And mm-hmm. I'm like, when I look at that, what I think is this is a person who the, either, either they are, um, they, they, like, they, they feel like they, they cannot, be repetitive. Like they cannot do the same thing every single day to them. That's boring. So they're keeping it open and therefore they, they, you know, they're mediocre or they're afraid of the structure. Like they, it, when they look at it, they, I think intuitively know that it works because they see other people that it works, but they're afraid of what happens when they do it. Like, and what I'm, what I think happens is, and I'm, I'm really, I'm curious on your, your take on this is that they are aware that the moment that they start getting structure in their lives, it's going to expose all of the weaknesses in their game. Yeah, I think that's 100% true. And also, people don't want that structure because, especially in today's world, people are so used to being distracted. And they're so used to having this just open time to do whatever because these these little devices that we have in our pockets all the time are designed to keep us distracted and keep us focused on things that have nothing to do with what we should actually be doing, right? And scrolling through the social medias and stuff, and you don't even realize how much time mm-hmm. is getting sucked out of you. And that's the design. They're designed, they're engineered to do that, to have you not worry about how much time is being sucked out of you because you get the dopamine hit from the, the notifications and such. And you don't even realize that their business model is to take your time and monetize it and you don't participate in any of the upside, right? People don't get that. So that structure part, yes, it also, another piece of it, Jeb, here is that structure also is going to require some accountability. It's going to require some self-accountability because if you put everything in the calendar and you say, okay, at 12 o'clock you do this and at 12.45 you're doing this, now you have to actually do it. And if you're not doing it, there's the calendar looking you right in the face. You're doing something that's not on the calendar And uh, now you feel like a jerk because you're not doing what the calendar says you should be doing. So that and then you got to look in the mirror and realize that most people don't want to deal with that self-conversation, even if nobody else knows about it. They would rather just leave the calendar blank. So if they spend the whole time, uh, the whole day rallygagging and doing nothing and get nothing done, well, there's nothing to hold them accountable because they didn't commit to anything in the first place. Love it. So. Let's let's just I want to break this down for a second in terms of structure. Mm -hmm. If you were giving a salesperson advice right now and said mm-hmm. you want to you want to get structure in your life, what would be your very best like you 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 finish listening to this podcast or you push pause right now in the middle of this podcast and do this? What would it be? Open up the calendar app in your phone or your personal calendar that's pen and paper, wherever you structure your day out. If you don't have one, go get one and actually structure out what you're going to do and plan out every minute of your day. Even if you have 30 minutes to scroll Facebook, put it in the calendar. Just structure out your day. That's it. So you're saying everything goes on the calendar. You you block the entire day out on your calendar, period. Yes, I will block the entire day out and then be willing to move things around as necessary. So for example, this conversation is not an everyday thing on my calendar, but then we move things around to fit what is on the calendar. And it's something that... 
I try to make myself do. As a matter of fact, I try to sometimes use tasks. I always I will change up the process to see what works most efficiently, but always structuring out the day and scheduling out the day, because when you have something holding you accountable, you tend to get more done. It's just it's just human nature. When we have a process to follow, we follow it. No process. We do nothing. Beautiful. So if you're listening to this, you can put it on pause get your calendar out, and then you got to block this ahead. Like this isn't just right. today or tomorrow. This is going forward, and those blocks may not change. Right? You need time for yourself. You need time for your team. You need time for your customers. You need especially time for prospecting, which should be the first thing on your block every single morning. You've got to have a time for personal development and self-development, and then you've got to have time for your, your meetings with your customers. All of that has to be on there, and then you've got to mm-hmm. have a little bit of space to be flexible uh, but the blocks have to be there. That structure matters. Brilliant advice. Right. What's the next step in the in the framework? Well, the next one is the one that most people are looking for, which is confidence. And okay. confidence is what I describe as you're willing to put yourself out there boldly and authentically. Most people don't come to me asking for discipline because discipline sounds like hard work and effort. And most people aren't looking for that. Uh, they know they need it, but they're not looking for it. Or most people are looking for is confidence. So I just want to believe in myself more. I want to present myself more authoritatively. I want to you know, have more presence when I'm in a sales conversation because I think that'll help me make more sales. So most people are looking for confidence. And here's the, the good news is that discipline creates confidence. Now, the most confident people are usually very disciplined individuals, like people who have real, true confidence is usually based on the fact that they're extremely disciplined individuals. They have a structure in it. They have structure to their lives. That structure creates discipline. Discipline creates the confidence. And the thing about confidence is, and one of my one of my TEDx talks is about this, is that you're not faking it until you make it. You know, some people uh, buy into that concept, fake it till you make it, which I don't actually buy into. I buy into becoming it. So you step into it and you actually become the person who you need to be. Even if it means, let's say somebody comes, they're new to your organization. They never sold anything in their lives and they want to be a good salesperson, but they never done it before. So now they're about to have their first sales conversation. Well, Jeb, what do I do? Well, what they can do is they can borrow the confidence of your top salesperson, whoever that happens to be. And they can assume the posture of that individual but still be you. Assume their energy. How would they walk into the room? How would they get onto the call? How would they get on the Zoom? Or how would they sound when they make the phone call? Assume their posture and energy while still being yourself. Borrow it for a brief period of time. Go do your thing. Now you can use yourself as the example moving forward. I say this to athletes all the time. Who's your favorite player? They say uh, Steph Curry. I say, okay, how does Steph Curry walk into the gym? Uh, What kind of energy does Steph Curry have? Uh, how does he feel about himself when that game starts? Now, you don't have to try to play like Steph Curry. Nobody can do that. But you can assume his posture and his energy because we have these things called mirror neurons. If you watch somebody else doing something, you can assume their energy just from watching them. Right. This is like a, a person, a comedian. You can watch somebody funny and then you go to on a date and you'll be more funny just because you watch that funny person. Or before you play a sport, you can watch your favorite athlete on YouTube and you'll have a little bit of their energy just because you watch them do it. So you can assume the energy of another person, borrow their confidence is what I call it. But then you have to become it because you can't fake closing a sale. All right, there's no faking it. Till, you can't fake it till you make it closing the sale. You can't fake presenting the price of the product and telling people what it's going to cost to get it. Either they say yes or they say no, but there's no faking there. That's a real thing. So when it comes to confidence, again, having the discipline to uh, practice, there's the practice, the skill set practice, there's the mindset practice, there's the energy practice, there's knowing your stuff. That's all discipline, all based in structure. And then when it's time for you to perform, the confidence naturally shows up. Yeah, the confidence is. I I I, uh, I wrote this this morning. It's so funny you said this because before I came into the studio, I'm mm. building a, a a set of videos for a client of ours, and as I was working on the video scripts, I I wrote, "If there's a Jedi mind trick in sales, it's confidence," mm. because people lean into confidence. People pay attention to confidence. People trust confidence. When you're confident, you can influence people to make a decision. It's uh, right. We talk about, in our practice, relaxed, assertive confidence and how powerful that is. And it's weird because, you know, you think about all of the complexity that goes into human psychology and dealing with other people that this just base foundation confidence. And I'm not talking about arrogance, right? Confidence is 
uh, is different than arrogance. Arrogance is, um, I, I would describe it as you being authentic without any res any respect for your audience, right? So, but confidence is an internal belief in your ability to help other people, especially in sales. Like when I walk into a client, I feel very confident that my what I'm doing can help them. And by the way, if I can help them, I feel confident that I can walk out the door and say, I'm not the right fit for you. That that works for me both ways. But salespeople struggle with that. And they struggle with it because they get a lot of rejection. So people are afraid of rejection. And you think about you calling up 60 agents. So your, you know, your whole story about, you know, I, I took some time off from Bally's. I go down, I go to an interview or, you know, like you said, uh, uh, camp Suppose for athletes. Yeah. And then, you, and then you, you go back to your job and then you call agents to represent you with a video. I mean, I, it, that's just astounding. Like nobody does stuff like that. And, but, but there had to be a level of confidence that you found inside yourself to do that. And I think this is where, where salespeople really struggle. For me, I know that, for example, if I'm prospecting every day, I'm going to be okay. Most salespeople look at prospecting and say, I'm going to get rejected. People are going to reject me. That's going to be a bad thing. There's a, there is a mindset shift in the activity or in the, in the just doing things or even assuming someone else's confidence, barring their confidence, being the person that you want to be. Like, for example, as I, when I was rolling up through corporate America, I always assumed the confidence to be the next person I wanted to, you know, get promoted or the next position. I became that position first, but I learned that from Zig Ziglar. I mean, that wasn't something that I, that I, you know, that I came up with my own, on my own. And, and that, you know, that's, that would, that was an age old thing. But when we get down to the nitty gritty with a salesperson, I've got to go call a stranger or I've got to go walk into a strange door or I've got to go sit down with a customer who probably knows a lot more about you know what they're doing in the business and even what I'm selling than I do. What are some tips for for that? Like that that moment of truth when you internally don't feel confident. And we've all been there. Like we all know what that is. Like that that moment where it's just mm -hmm. you and the other person and your thoughts have a tendency to betray you. Like you're telling yourself what you can't do in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And that absolutely happens to everybody, especially if you've had, you know, the last 10 calls didn't go too well, right? Or, you know, last day just wasn't too great. And the thing is, you got to just get back to your fundamentals and get back to your basics. So again, it comes back to the discipline because discipline creates the confidence. So for example, in basketball, if I wasn't feeling very confident in my game, the best way to solve that issue was to go to the gym and get some shots up. And I can see the ball going in the basket multiple times and now I feel a lot better about my game. And it's the same thing in the sales world is getting back to your fundamentals, getting back to your basics, getting back to uh, reading your manuals or going through your, your mindset work, which in, in sales, I'm sure that's a big part of what you all do at your organization is going through that mindset work. And that's an, a constant. That's not something you do one time and it's done. It's you do it over and over and over again to make sure that your skill set sh stays sharp your mindset stays sharp and then just reminding yourself of your resume, remind yourself of what you've done. So uh, for athletes that could be watching some film of yourself doing things in a good way in the sales world is reminding yourself of the times you did close the sale. And those things are, they seem uh, almost trite, especially when you're not winning is like, uh, who wants to do that? What is that going to do for me? But it actually matters because it's reminding your subconscious mind that you can create success in the space and that you've done it before. All you had to do is do it again. And you just have to stick to your fundamentals, stick to your basics. And just, again, that discipline is what creates the confidence and the way that you maintain your, I call confidence a membership. Jeb is a membership kind of like being a member of a gym, Like You can't, you don't pay just one time. Like you pay every month. You got to keep paying for that confidence membership, which means you got to keep doing the work that got you to be confident in the first place. I used to tell athletes and I used to have this, well, I still have this video on YouTube from a decade ago where I showed them how to, if you want to get good at dribbling the ball, do these drills every day. And I said at the end of the video, do these drills every day for five years, you'll be good at dribbling. And players are like, man, Drake, five years, I got to do these drills to be good. And I say, yeah. And after that five years, when you get good, you got to keep doing them to stay good. And as soon as you stop doing them, you won't be good anymore. So you think of, I uh, use Steph Curry here as an example. Uh, do you think anybody practices shooting more than him? Probably nope. not, but he's the best shooter. 
<laughs> but he practices shooting more than everybody. So that's the way he maintains the confidence is because he's continually doing the work, the discipline. And I'm sure he has a structure for how he practices. That structure creates the discipline. The discipline creates the confidence, the way he maintains his confidence. Or if he has a terrible game and has lost some confidence, he's back in the gym more than anybody else. So it's again, is a paradox that the most successful people are doing the disciplines more than everybody else. Oh man, I, that is amen. I mean, that is the absolute truth. And one time I heard uh, John Smoltz give a speech about baseball players getting into slumps. And he mm -hmm. said the biggest mistake that they make is they go try to find something new, a trick or, or some, some easy button that they can push to get them out of the slump. But what the, the, the solution is, is to get back to the basics and fundamentals. And it's so amazing to hear you say exactly the same thing. And, and, and in truth, if you go look at the great athletes, the elite athletes, they practice the same fundamentals that they were practicing when they were eight years old, learning the sport to begin with. That's what's so amazing about that. And I think the rest of us, and in, in, in to some extent, we're, you know, we're constantly looking for something new. And I always find that interesting. I find it interesting where I'll have uh, you know, someone who is failing read something or listen to something or watch something that I've put together, which is basically basics and fundamentals, and say, oh, there's nothing new here. Hmm. They're looking for something outside of themselves to give them confidence versus what you said is – it is the adherence and the discipline and the structure to focus on the basics and fundamentals that results in confidence. It, the confidence doesn't come first. The discipline comes first. Right. And super powerful. All right, what's number three? Third one is mental toughness, your willingness to remain disciplined and confident even when the success you've expected to achieve has yet to occur. So uh, the reason why this matters so much, the mental toughness here, Jeb, is because no matter how, how much you prepare and how good you are or believe you are, nothing ever goes exactly as planned. And as they say, the real life alters the lab tests, right? And best laid plans never go exactly as we expect them to go. So we should all know that there, there are going to be times when things don't work out. There will be setbacks, not that you should be wanting the setback, but be ready for the setback, be ready for the challenge, be ready for the time that it doesn't go the way that you thought it was going to go. And can you stay focused on the goal, despite the fact that things are not going the way you thought they were going to go? That's what mental toughness is really about. And really, it can encompass a lot of what the whole work on your game philosophy is about, is having that mental toughness to uh, keep showing up the next day as if what happened the previous day didn't happen. And I tell this to people, even when you're successful, because uh, in the in the sales world, uh, the sales that you made yesterday has nothing to do with the person you're sitting down with today. In the sports world, you had 40 points in a game yesterday. None of those points carry over into tonight's game. Uh, you have to do it all over again. And the people who are great at what they do are able to have a very short memory when it comes to yesterday's accomplishments or yesterday's failures. If you had a terrible game yesterday or a terrible day of sales yesterday, that has nothing to do with the conversations you have you have on the schedule for today. And if you were great yesterday, it has nothing to do with what's happening today. So it's about really at some time, in some points, having a short memory, being able to erase whatever happened in the past and showing up here with a, a clean slate, a fresh mind and ready to perform as if whatever happened in the past didn't even occur. So that that mental toughness part, that part matters with mental toughness and also just dealing with the inevitabilities of things not going as expected because that's absolutely going to happen. You're going to have a customer buy from you next day, call you back, say, I changed my mind on my money back. All right, you got to deal with that. Yep. And that's part of the game that you're in. And it's for, for professionals, it's making sure you're not going too high or too low. You don't want to be riding in a roller coaster, an emotional roller coaster based on the outcomes that occur. You want to try to stay as steady as possible, despite whatever is happening around you. And, but what I've learned is that the the steadiest, calmest person in the room, especially in a chaotic situation, is usually the leader. Person who's the most calm and the most steady, despite the fact that everybody else is losing their minds, that's the person that everybody's going to follow, regardless of their title. It's very true. In sales, the the person in any sales conversation that exudes the most emotional control or has the most emotional control is typically the person most likely to achieve their desired outcome. So that that being steady, that being emotionally in control uh, is is important, although in in sports and in sales, it is a highly emotional 
environment. I mean, I you know, sales is a is the greatest up and down in the entire world. Like I, it's like a drug for me. Like you know, you close business and all of a sudden you're top of the world. The next day it all falls apart and you're at the bottom. You know, the bottom of the barrel. Now what I find, and I, just when we start talking about mental resilience, and there's a, there's a lot to unpack inside of what you just said. But one of the things I think that people miss if they're looking from the outside is they see the athlete that's going through the motions and and performing have something that goes wrong and and this athlete's completely calm handles it moves on what they don't see is behind the scenes like a great example of this is we were working on a really big deal with a really big company that meant a lot to me and we had a, a meeting with a, a head of sales and it didn't go very well. And I was mm. part of the problem. Like there was just, there was a personality conflict and I made a couple of mistakes and there were mistakes that I regretted in the conversation. And I remember going home and like I laid down on the couch, like, and I just sat there for about 15 minutes and I spent 15 minutes feeling sorry for myself. And then I got back up and said, okay, feeling sorry for yourself is over. I got to figure out how to fix this. And then I started thinking about what can I do to recover from it? How can we fix it? And we did. We fixed it and got the deal closed. But it wasn't like I just bounced off that with an un, you know with no emotion. I still felt defeated in the moment. I just got back up and kept going. And that's what I find with 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 elite athletes and winners is that it, so many times I, they 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 may fall on their back, but they've just got this sort of thing inside them that clicks and says, you know what? If I can look up, I can get up. And I, I can keep going and they, and they, they, what you said, they forget really quickly about what just happened. Uh, do you follow golf by any chance? Not closely. Not closely. I I, works. Okay. <laughs> so, but one of the, one of the most amazing experiences with this, what you just described was Victor Hovland at this year's tour championship. So okay. this was, uh, I think last weekend or the weekend before last, he won $18.5 million uh, oh, wow. in this tournament. And, he won. One of the things he said was that he'd been working with coaches, probably someone like you, who mm. had helped him with his mental state so that when something went wrong, he didn't start adjusting what he was doing. When something went wrong, he got back to the basics and he forgot about what had just happened and he moved on to his next shot. And and he said prior to that, and they just kept talking about his mental game. You know, this he had just really worked on the mental game, the mental game, the mental game. And it was all about that ability not to allow one bad thing to happen to become a cascade of everything bad happening. And you can, mm -hmm. if you watch professional golf, and I watch professional golf, and uh, and you can watch football teams do this, you can watch basketball teams do this, but but it's, because golf is such an individual sport, it's really easy to watch it there. You can watch it in tennis as well. One right. bad thing happens, and then the person makes another mistake, and they make another mistake, and suddenly they lose their confidence. Right. And the entire mental game falls apart. Mm -hmm. And 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 that didn't happen in a vacuum. Like Victor worked on that. So how do you suggest that people exercise this this mental resilience muscle so that they have the ability to bounce off bad things that are gonna happen, mm -hmm. forget that it happened, and then take the next shot as if as if nothing ever happened before that? Great question. So first thing is, it, it goes right back to what we talked about before, the mindset and the skill set. So this is mentally practicing, which is that can be the material that you're taking in. What are you listening to, reading or watching around this very concept? So you can kind of get your mind used to the experience or the thoughts, excuse me, of what's going to go through your mind if and when something does go wrong. And that's a great place the coaching can come in. And also in your practice, because you no know, athletes, for example, practice. Salespeople can practice as well. They can role play. All right, the customer said this. So the prospect said this. What are you going to do? Or the prospect does this. How do you respond to that? So it's going through the practice of things going off track and not working. And how do you respond? Because when I played sports, the coaches would always say, how you practice is how you're going to play. Right. Because whatever you're preparing for in your preparation, that's exactly what you're going to do under the lights, as we used to say. And I heard uh, I think it was Tim Ferriss. I first heard to say this, that in pressure situations, you don't rise to the level of the occasion. You fall to the level of your training. You fall mm -hmm. to the level of your preparation. So however you prepared yourself, that's really what you're going to do. You're not going to just all of a sudden meet the moment where it happens to be. You're going to meet it where you are, whatever you prepared yourself for. So that's what I would say that anyone can do, whether you're in sales, sports, or anywhere in between. 
I'm, I'm, I'm almost speechless. That was so powerful. Uh, one of the, the things that we talk about in my book, Sells EQ, is murder boarding. And that is when you're working on a big deal, you sit down with your team and you work through everything that could kill the deal. You, you put it on the table and then you figure that out. So that when you're in the situation with the customer, it always seems a lot easier. It's the same thing in practice. Like you practice all the things that could go wrong. You practice all the things that could go right so that when you're in the game, you're not having to think about it. It just happens. I think, though, that when you think about salespeople, and I don't know if this happens in your practice, but in mine, I'm I'm in a group of, of salespeople. We're role playing. There'll always be a handful of people that goes, I don't like to role play. I don't like to practice. I don't like to do any of this stuff. And and every once in a while, it's, it's rare, but it happens probably two or three times a year. I have a person just won't. I'm just not gonna prac. I'm not gonna practice. I'll take them back. I played uh, soccer because I'm I'm you know I'm five eight, so I don't get to play basketball. I played soccer in in uh, in college and yeah. high school, and yeah. I hated practice. I mean, I absolutely hate it. Everybody hates practice, but we all want to play the game. But it was in practice that when we were in the game made everything to come together role playing in sales i'm so glad you said that it is the it is essential it is the key because if you practice it in role play then when you're in the game and things go wrong you know exactly what to do to make it right you know exactly what to do to recover mm. and and you said you're not stunned but i'm stunned like i'm still stunned by people who won't read and i am stunned by people who won't role play. I'm absolutely, it blows my mind. And maybe I'm just naive, but I just can't understand people who don't see the value in practice. And and I'm I'm just, and I'm in awe of you for, for pulling together and tying together, building mental resilience with repetitive practice and why those two things go together so well. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, I think one of the reasons why you're not surprised, why you are surprised by the fact that people don't read. I think you're just surrounded by a lot of higher level people. So you don't, maybe you don't, you don't come across the common people too often. Maybe that's the reason. Jeff. So <laughs> well, maybe, you know, maybe, well, there's, there is a truth in that you should surround yourself with the right people. Give us number yeah. four. All right. So the fourth one is personal initiative. And that's your ability to go in make things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. So this is about really being a go-getter, going and making things, going and making something happen where nothing is occurring. So this is something that I had to do a lot, you know, just in a little bit of my story that I told you, just uh, making a team in high school, then walking on and playing college and nobody knows who you are. You just walk in the gym and try to play your way onto the team. And then after college was over and nobody was checking for me, my career should have ended there that I kept it going and you no know, paid my way to that exposure camp. The people at the camp didn't know who I was. They just wanted the money. So they just took my money, let me come. <laughs> uh, I called those agents. None of them knew who I was. I had to sell myself in there. And then even once my career started, there were times, again, I told you the phone wasn't ringing. I had to kind of build the momentum up all over again. And then when I got out of playing ball, it's not like I was a, a world famous name. So even in entrepreneurship, when I wanted to do no, I've done TED talks. I've done keynote speaking gigs. And just for people to look at me as a an authority, I had to sell myself. I had to get them to understand that I am worthy of your attention, first of all, then worthy of anything else, or anything else other than attention, like money. So I had to do those things. I had to make things happen to make any of those things occur. And that's that that's the go-getter energy. I've always had this ability to, I always had this ability to sell myself. And I got it from one of my managers, I worked at this store called Hat World in the mall when I was maybe 18 or 19. And she had this long uh, career in retail management. She had always been a retail manager. She managed a bunch of places. And when we were teens, I don't know how teens are these days, but when we were teens back in the 90s, it was a big deal to be able to get a job because we would go to the mall, ask for an application to give you a piece of paper. You brought a pen with you. You go to the food court and you would fill out the applications and bring it back. Hope you get a job. Hope you get an interview, let alone a job. So when I met someone who had gotten a bunch of jobs, I just want to know, how'd you get so many jobs? How'd you get hired for all these jobs? And she was just telling me, Dre, I just sold myself. I got the interview. I sold myself an interview. I never heard anybody use that phrase. I sold myself. And I kept that in mind. I just always kept it in mind. So when I, years later, was trying to get on in basketball, I said, I got to sell myself. Because there's a lot of players with my skill level. We're all pretty much in the same pool. Like, what's the difference between me and this guy and that guy? Nobody really knows. We each think we're better, but can we prove it? No. So what's the difference? I got to sell myself. So I, I always had that ability to do that. And just looking around at what is everybody else not doing? 
And I knew most basketball players were not going to get on the phone and call agents because they're all they got a little bit too much ego. They're like, I'm good. Somebody should sign. Somebody should call me. All right. But I knew nobody was going to call me. My phone was not going <laughs> to ring if I didn't ring some phone. I knew that was not going to happen. And I knew that, uh, hey, sales gravy was not going to hear about me unless I made them unless I made them hear about me. Right? They weren't looking for me. I had to go look for them. So I've always been in that mindset that if nobody's knocking on your door, you got to go go knock on some doors. I've always been that type of person. Your phone's not ringing. Go ring some phones and just be able to create some energy where there is no energy. And if you can't do that, you either better a be very well known so that they're coming to you or B, just get comfortable being mediocre because those are the only choices you got. My, my buddy, Anthony Anarino says that you can either be a rain barrel or a rainmaker. So rain right. barrels are sitting in the backyard, rusting with their mouth to the sky, hoping that something will drop in. And rainmakers mm-hmm. look at the world like you and say, you know what? I can change the world. I can, I can put enough energy and action and drive into this that I can win. And, and I, and I just look at building this company, Sales Gravy. I look at you building your organization and building your reputation in the marketplace and this business that you've developed. There were a lot of days and a lot of nights where I don't know about you, but I would work almost 20 hours. And and there would be points where my whole body hurt because I was working mm. that long I just to get just somebody to have a conversation with me, somebody to talk with me. Uh, nobody knew who I was when I started this this thing. Nobody had a clue. So it was the ability to take action and then take action and then take action and take action to create that momentum that made the difference. And I want you to hear this, folks, who are listening to this. Listen what Dre said. Nobody's going to call you. Prospects aren't calling you up. You got to call them. And don't point to the one time that somebody called you or the inbound lead that you got and think that that is what prospecting is about. You got to get out there and make it happen. So this, this discipline and ability to create your own momentum, if you think about these, this four-piece framework that Dre just laid out to you that is absolutely brilliant, this is the one thing that makes all the difference. Because if you are willing to be a rainmaker, right? And get away from being a rain barrel, you will find all of the other pieces come together. Absolutely brilliant. So Dre, before we we take off, I got to ask you a a quick question and I'm going to put you on the spot. So just be prepared. Okay. Cause this is, uh, I'm being, I'm being just super direct. Will you come back on the podcast and do this again? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's just laughing because no, I don't ever ask people to come back. I think <laughs> never. So I, I want to, I'm going to get the team together. I want you to come back. I want to spend some more time with you because I could literally do this for five hours with you. I mean, there's so much gold in everything that you're teaching us. So uh, first I'm, I've got you on the record saying that um, this, yes. the, the, the last thing is, can you tell us a little bit about how people can learn more about you and your coaching and your materials, your books, your courses? Where where can people find those things from you? Well, how people learn more about me is our home home focus areas, work on your game university. I think I heard you say sales gravy university. Yep. So yeah, we work at university. So work on your game university.com. That's the name of our uh that's the main website. That's where we do all of our programs, anybody who works with me directly just at the university, you can see testimonials, case studies, feedback, people who have worked with us in the past, schedule a call with me or somebody on the team if they're interested in uh, working with us. As far as me everywhere else, I'm on every social media platform I post to. I got something coming up on every platform every single day. So everything, I'm I'm all over the place. So if you like uh, Instagram, my Instagram is just at Dre Baldwin, any other platform, YouTube, we got 8,000 videos on YouTube. So just look my name up, whatever platform you're on, I'm easy to find. And so whatever social you like, and then just work on your game university. That's the best place to find me. And if anybody wants to text me, can I share my text number? Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I have a texting community and you can text me at 305-384-6894. I just we just stopped doing the daily motivation messages because it was the ROI just wasn't working out. But I still send you no know, focus sharp on point messages to keep you focused sharp and on point every now and then intermittently. Right now, there's no set schedule for that, but there will be stuff coming. So you can text me. I do respond and reply to those messages. Awesome. Very good. Well, thank you so much for having us on work on your game university and give us a text number one more time. 305-384-6894. Y'all go and connect with Dre. Uh, absolutely brilliant. And for sales professionals, his material, his content, it it will work for you. 
Uh, thank you so much, Dre, for joining us on the Sales Gravy Podcast. We truly appreciate you. And folks, uh, make sure that you go check out Sales Gravy University. You can go to learn.salesgravy.com, learn.salesgravy.com. This is the most powerful sales training engine on earth. We have more than 50,000 members, teams, and individuals from across the globe who are learning from 40-plus experts. I think we're up to like 44 of the top sales experts in the world who are creating courses, and we have both live courses, so you can take courses every single week that are taught live, and you can take on-demand courses. There's over a 1,000 hours of on-demand courses on the platform, really high quality. Most of it's shot in our own studios, and you can take your very first course for free at learn.salesgravy.com when you use the code free course. And this is for new users only, just so if you've, if you've set up a course before, it won't work for you. But go to learn.salesgravy.com, use free course. Dre, thank you so much for joining me on the Sales Gravy Podcast. Folks, we'll see you next week.